Welcome to the Warts and All podcast. I'm Susie Edge, medical doctor and historian, and I'm just fascinated by how we've treated the human body in life and in death, but let's face it, mostly in death. Thanks for joining me and for all the supportive tweets and reviews this week. I have a few thank yous to make, which is always wonderful to be able to do. Can I shout out Dr. Stuart Taylor? We went to medical school together. Stuart was out being a doctor, working, travelling the Scottish countryside and listening to the podcast between seeing patients, I hope. And he gave us a generous shout out on Twitter. I don't work in clinical medicine anymore and as each year passes, I have more and more respect for those who do out there on the front lines being amazing. So thanks, Stuart. Speaking of doctors, thanks also to Dr. Rachel Hudson and her daughter, Hannah. You guys have been the most wonderful and enthusiastic supporters, and I hope that you like your warts and all t-shirt that's coming your way. Sergeant Clark needs a mention for his support and the nudging he gives me. You can follow Ryan's reenactment fun and games over on TikTok and Instagram at Sergeant Clark. That's at S-J-T-C-L-A-R-K. I'm always so excited when I see one of those emails that says someone's bought some merch or become a patron over on my Patreon page. It really spurs me on to do better, to make fun content and to keep writing the book. So thanks to all my new patrons this week. I massively appreciate it. There will be a patron only content coming your way soon. Okay, that's enough about me. Let's talk about the king's bum. You know, this will probably feel very much like an episode of embarrassing bodies, but I feel we just have to talk about Louis XIV's rear end. Again. And let's face it, discussing historical, painful medical issues and procedures is a wonderful mixture of the gruesome, squirm-inducing voyeurism, if you will. It instills major gratitude for the times we find ourselves in, for me, especially in a time before the anaesthetists riding in on their road bikes, all dressed in lycra, acting like knights in shining armour, ready to heroically get the gas flowing. And in the time before the microbiologist would call by, all in a fluster of why nobody had yet taken 52 blood culture samples from the patient. In a time before all that, surgeons still like to cut people open. Louis XIV was the King of France between 1643 and 1715. He was on the throne for more than 70 years. To me, it was such a fascinating time. Whilst over in England, we've got civil war with the Stuarts and the Parliamentarians and the Stuarts again and William and Mary, Anne, the Act of the Union, the start of the Georges. But we're not here to talk about them. The physicians and surgeons were doing some really interesting things that would be sure to make your eyes water. The story of Louis XIV's bum problem is not just a simple bum problem resolved. Oh no. Louis XIV had a perianal abscess and an anal fistula that led to quite a few changes around here. Fistulae were recorded long before Louis XIV made them popular. But the thing about Louis's bum health, and his health in general, is that his was also very well recorded. His physicians wrote it all down. They described rheumatism, vapours and humours, the fistula, insomnia, indigestion and reflux, headaches and fever, melancholy. They described urinary disorders, night sweats, erysipelas. He had vertigo and colds and colic and toothache and gout. He was not short of a problem or three. Everything the king produced, if you get my drift, was inspected and described in detail. 
You can tell a lot from the contents of a bedpan. The colour, the volume, the smell and even the taste of urine can help detect many ailments from a simple dehydration if the urine was dark, to stones if bloody and red, to porphyria if blue, to diabetes if sweet-smelling or tasting. Anyone who has eaten their share of asparagus will know that works, though I believe there are some people who can't detect the smell of asparagus pee, and I, for one, am rather jealous. Anyway, I digress. Louis had people to check out the contents of his bedpan and, dependent on their findings, make decisions about his treatments. Be they bleeding their patient, enemas in the bottom end to clear the bowel, or tinctures of one kind or another in the top end to clear all sorts of ailments. In 1686, long before anaesthesia or germ theory were on the radar, Louis XIV complained to his physicians of a swelling in his perineum. The swelling was a bit sore, and soon it developed into an abscess, a painful red swollen sack of pus, making it quite hard to sit down or ride a horse, or even to stand still, probably. The physicians tried poultices, compresses, sugar compresses, and they were put onto the abscess. They punctured it to allow the pus to drain, and they injected it with various substances. They would apply red-hot irons to the abscess between his legs. None had much success, and unsurprisingly, it was all very painful. Enemas and laxatives were given regularly. Louis loved a good enema. He was reported to have undergone over 2,000 of them. If you wanted to speak to the king at any point, no matter how urgent the chat you might find that you were doing so whilst the king was having an enema, pleasant thought. The enemas did nothing to help the abscess. The abscess, with all the prodding, injecting and poking, soon turned into a fistula. A fistula is a channel that develops from one cavity to another, allowing for the movement of pus and other bodily fluids and creations. Louis XIV's fistula was a pus-flowing channel that ran from inside the bowel, just inside, to a hole in the skin of the perineum. He basically developed a brand new hole, just near the original one. Eventually, with the physicians making no headway, the surgeons were consulted. And learned physicians who were internal medicine doctors looked down their noses at surgeons who were not considered in the same class. Surgeons were there to do the cutting. Operations were never top of the list for treatments as they brought with them the risk of infection. Nobody wants a suppurative wound in the bum area, or anywhere for that matter, but needs must, and Louis's needs were growing. In secrecy, an operation was planned. Charles Francois Felix was the king's surgeon, and don't get me wrong, he wasn't just dragged off the streets, he was the son of a lord, brother to a bishop, but still, surgeons were not of physician rank just yet, but he was about to make a name for himself. Felix had not carried out an operation on an anal fistula before, so he needed time to perfect his art. This problem would require a fistulotomy, laying open and exposing the tract of the fistula, or unroofing. That's a really grim expression, unroofing, isn't it? The pus was drained out, allowing it to heal. When I made a short TikTok video about this, I had a lot of questions about how on earth one operates on an anal fistula. So if you're so inclined, you can go to YouTube and look at that. If you search for fistula, it will show arterial venous fistula operations as well, which are a different thing. So you specifically need anal fistula in your search. Good luck with your uh, what to watch next algorithm if you do. Story of my life. 
Many people will bring up Crohn's disease when discussing perianal abscess, and 30% of abscesses in Crohn's are associated with fistula, and many of the people will be squirming in their seats listening to this, knowing exactly how it feels. The king wasn't known to have suffered from Crohn's disease, and abscess and fistulae do occur on their own in the absence of Crohn's. Before he was able to get head down between the king's legs and perform this operation, Felix had to practice. He took a few months and he practiced on the people of Paris. In the hospital and prisons, he found men to prod and poke and cut. None had much say in the matter. This was in service of their king. There were over 75 of them. We don't know their outcomes or how many actually survived, but hey, this was in the name of the king's bum, right? So pull your trousers down and bite on this leather strap. It might hurt a little. As he found more men to practice on, Felix developed two tools to work with. The first was a scalpel with an elongated curvature, which became known as the king's probe. And the second was a rather useful three-pronged retractor, an instrument that holds open holes while one operates inside. Once ready to use his new skills and instruments on the king, Felix got to work. The operation took three hours and was a success. The king was awake throughout, so if he had anything that might take the edge off, it didn't knock him out. He didn't complain much as the surgeon sat between his legs, probe in hand. And so the king felt better. Hurrah! I'm sure all of those men who were practised on and who had lived were, were thrilled. The physicians didn't have much to say about it all. They mentioned that they bled the king, so that was helpful. The surgeon did write down his account of the procedure, though. Felix was now a hero and was given a title and lands. He immediately retired to his new estate, his life's work complete. He did not operate again. Quit whilst you're ahead, I say. The king did need some more prodding later on, as many of these problems do, but overall the king was healed and now everyone wanted in on the action. As fashionable as it is to copy the king's clothes and hair and mannerisms, so it was to copy the king in other aspects of life. Some were seen with bandaged rear ends to show that they too had undergone this fashionable new operation. Others went as far as to ask surgeons to cut their bums too in mock fistular operations to show how much they loved sucking up in court. Having had a fistula operation became the next big fashion accessory. Apart from the fashion to copy the king, there were other, more important repercussions from the healing of the king's bum by a once lowly surgeon. Surgery was now given more credit and the surgeons were given more recognition. French surgeons in particular were now highly regarded. Recognition of the craft by the monarch himself led to greater things for the surgical profession, and this continued into the reigns of the Louis who followed. But interestingly for Louis XIV, it may well have been a lack of surgery that led to his death. Of course, it's all a matter of what if this and what if that, and he was getting on in years, but years later, when Louis complained of a pain in his leg, his physicians diagnosed sciatica. Louis, in fact, had started to develop gangrene, an infection from a cut or a bite or a way in through the skin for bacteria to cause trouble. Gangrenous legs turn white and then purple and then black as the tissue dies. In gas gangrene, he could have developed a bubbling under the skin like a blackened bubble wrap. The pain was so much that the king had begged for an amputation. Would you operate? 
His physician stood in the way, and by the time they realised that this was life-threatening gangrene, and his life may well have been saved by cutting off the leg, it was too late. I need to be careful in being too much the surgeon sometimes in my comments. I've had uh, a swipe at others who look only to their own interests when making historical diagnoses. But here again, surgeons may well have saved the day, or at least a few more days for the old French king. Louis XIV died from an overwhelming gangrene infection that started in his leg and overtook him. He's remembered for a lot of things, for his long reign, his court and Versailles, but for me... He's remembered for the time that surgeons were recognised for their art and for not killing the king with an infection after cutting open his backside. It might have been dodgy how they managed to perfect the operation practising on others, but better, brighter things followed. There was another bizarre story about the repercussions of the king's bum operation. There's this wonderful tale about the composer Handel hearing a good tune. He was the official composer to George I when he was on a jolly to France and he heard a song written to commemorate the complicated but successful operation. He took the song away, turned it into God Save the King or Queen, depending on who's on the throne, and now it's sung as the national anthem of the United Kingdom and a lot others. A quick search will tell you that there are many origin stories for this national anthem, but here at Warts and All, we love a good bum story, of course, so we're adopting this version of events. God save the Queen's bum and all. Thanks for listening to the Warts and All podcast. Coming up on the show, Off With Their Heads and other great British execution stories. Over on TikTok, there's a look at some Waterloo videos. Today, I record this on the 18th of June anniversary of the Battle of Waterloo. There's the Charge of the Light Brigade of a few years later in the Crimea, screaming skull stories and a giggle at Lord Byron. For patrons only, I have some behind-the-scenes chat with writing about the Monarch Deaths book and more. If you like that and what I'm up to, trying to sustain a creative life, then please do support the podcast and other content by becoming a patron or checking out the merch site. I would be over the moon. All the links to those and my socials on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter can be found at my website at susieedge.com. This has been the Warts and All podcast, written and produced by me, Susie Edge, with artwork by Catherine Edge. See you soon.